Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write about it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors, to out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. It is Whiskey Wednesday, June 30th, 2021, and you're listening to Episode 48. In today's Whiskey Whereabouts, we catch up with Greg Schwartz, director and producer of the Water of Life documentary. Then we'll speak with Ista Phillips, Lauren Davis, and Stephen Davis of Pandaren Welsh Whiskey. And finally, Chef Louise Leonard visits a Hollywood hotspot to dish on some great drams. Stay with us. Hey guys, we're back, finally, after COVID-19. I'm Carrie. I'm Philip. I'm Louise. I'm the chef. Chef Louise Leonard, as in Whiskey, A Chef's Journey. That chef. Yes. We started shooting just before the pandemic lockdown, and now today, our very first day, you are catching us on set, and we would love to talk to you about how you can help get us from here to your TV set. The thing is, we've run out of money. We mounted a pre-production campaign, which was very successful. Thank you very much for that. But now we're back into production and we need your support for this phase. You supported this uh, the first go round, or if you didn't, we welcome your support this time. The thing is we want to take this show around the world, quite literally. Quite literally. And that takes money. So won't you help us get this to market? You can visit whiskeyachefsjourney.com for all of the information you're going to need to help us realize this project. Well, I think it's a cheers to that. (laughs) Cheers. Hey, Greg, it's nice to have you back. Here we are at Whiskey Whereabouts, and we interviewed you not too long ago on the premiere of The Water of Life, and it's been having showings and screenings all over the world, and so I wanted to see how that's been going, what's been going on, and what's next for you. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be here. Nice to talk to you again. You know, it's funny. It's been five months, almost, I think yesterday was five months since we did the first screenings. And it's really funny how we've done tons of them. We've done them all over the world, and I've never left this chair. That's not true. We have we actually done a few in-person events now. We did one last week in Orange County. But it's been an amazing ride. As you may have heard me say, we're lucky enough as a film that People consuming spirits has gone way up and people watching movies has gone way up and we just happen to build a house at those crossroads. So it's just been a, it's been a really exciting time for us and we're reinventing the way to release a documentary right now and we're reinventing it as we go day to day. I know documentaries are hard to make any money at and I know you did a really successful crowdfunding in the beginning, but I'm sure you had to put out all kinds of money aside from that. So with all of the screenings you've been doing worldwide, have you caught up or or made any money on this movie? We're not in the black yet, no. But uh, we've certainly been doing, frankly, we've been overperforming our internal projections by okay. a wide margin. We did really the first couple of days, the, the, the Burns Night screenings we did, the six days, were amazing. And that really set the tone for what we're doing moving forward. And it's, yeah, documentaries are hard. And one of the biggest tricks I've discovered is, 
or challenge, it's not a trick, it's a challenge, is people keep asking us, and rightfully so, I don't resent them for asking, why aren't you on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something? And we, we're trying to explain to a non-filmmaking public that this is our, would be our theatrical run. This is not our streaming time. This is when we would have been on, you know, in theaters at whiskey and film festivals. And therefore, we're doing on-demand screenings where we're charging for tickets to see the film because this, we just have no choice. And, you know, there's a little bit – people seem pretty cool about it. We've had – no one's, like, thrown a fit or anything. <laughs> that's a good. Of, a couple of trolls on uh, YouTube, <laughs> to be honest with you. Oh, that's weird. You keep sharing these trailers, but you don't share the movie. Put the movie on YouTube. That's well, not well, really then how this works. How would, you, how would you pay for it? <laughs> but we will – it will wind up on a streamer. It'll wind up on the streamer probably later this year. It's just – that's once we're done with what we're doing. Of course. Great. I'd love to get the link to where it's going to be when it's ready to go on streaming so we can help get the word out for those who missed any of the in-person events, I should say, and not in-person, virtual. Yeah. So great. So what is coming up for you in the future? Besides the film, what's your next project? It's very difficult to mount a, a new project when you're still in a pandemic. And even if the world is opening up again, it's far from open because we haven't been able to do all of the advanced trips or groundwork that would go into doing something. But the three main things that we're doing right now are we're actually making an extended cut of the, which is really more restoring it. We were determined to keep the film under 90 minutes. The film's 88-20. So we did get it under, but the first cut, that, the first fine cut that we liked internally was about 99 minutes. And so we've had enough people ask us about it that, that our editor and I are restoring that cut. So we're going to probably sell that on Blu-ray eventually. When we come out on Blu-ray, we'll sell, it'll include both versions. So that's going to, like I said, about 10 minutes longer. And then the other thing we're doing is we're still working away on the independent bottling film. Slow and steady wins the race on that, but we're making a complete sort of side piece to the main film all about independent bottling and what a unique niche it is in the world of spirits and really in the world of food in general. I've never, ever found any comparable thing in, in like the food world, the wine world. I know there's independent bottlers do bottle rum sometimes. I, I don't even know of any that do vodka or gin or any white spirits, or beer. It's just a unique thing to age spirits, to brown spirits. So we're doing that film and that's hard to do by remote, but we're, we're once I can go to Scotland, which I'm hoping is in September, we'll probably shoot for four days and be done shooting and then, Great. but it is being edited as we go. So that will happen sooner than later. And then uh, we're starting to lay the groundwork or exploring some other projects that we want to do that are related to whiskey. And we're exploring sort of the farm to table movement, or in this case, the farm to glass movement and the sort of terroir based whiskey distilleries that there are. There's a few around the world. I'm going to the Westland Distillery next week. I'm pointing north right now. <laughs> I'm yeah. in Los Angeles. That's, that's <laughs> definitely terroir based. Yes. With the Gary yeah. Oak. Actually, we just had Matt Hoffman on our first Whiskey Whereabouts. And he gave us the update on their grain project and how he's trying to, yeah, the whole grain project. It's fantastic. And I love what he's doing up there. So I'm excited to see what footage you bring back from that, actually. Yeah, I'm nervous because when I go next week, I'm going alone. Because um, <laughs> this is just, this isn't the main, this isn't, a, we're not ready to shoot something there yet. We're really just exploring. And right. so I'm going up with a camera and microphone and I've got an assistant up there that I'm going to hire for a couple of days, my cousin, actually. But Nobody, none of our filmmaking team is going to be overjoyed with the idea of me being the director and the camera operator because it's just not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> right. 
All right. Thank you so much for giving us your whiskey whereabouts. And we look forward to all your new projects and, and the streaming of your current project. Thank you very much for having us. We can't wait to share it with everyone. And I will absolutely get you a link when we know where it's going to be. We, we don't know yet, which is actually a good thing for us. Yes. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. Up next, we speak with the Pendarian Whiskey Team. We'll be right back. The Center for Culinary Culture, home to the Cocktail Collection, has a YouTube channel, Eats Drinks TV. Streaming now are cocktails, the grand tour, culinary quickies, music and booze with Mo, V is for Vino, Complete Greek, and this podcast, Spirits of Whiskey, Find us on YouTube at Eat Drinks TV and subscribe now. The Center for Culinary Culture, telling the story of food and drink, one taste at a time. Mr. Stephen Davis, CEO, Laura Davis, Distillery Manager, and Ista Phillips Master Blender at Penderen Distillery, all operated by the Welsh Whiskey Company. Welcome three. Thank you. Hello. Yes, welcome. As we usually start every show, we always start off with uh, talking about everybody's whiskey journey. Um, so, Stephen, since you seem to be the boss man, why don't we start with you? How did you end up this big whiskey guru at a, at a house full of women running the place? Yes, good question. Well, my whiskey journey started, I think, when I was probably 17 or 18, and my, my father introduced me to single malts, the Scottish single malts, particularly things like the Macallan. Uh, things like that and so I, I, I was a fan of malt whiskies from a reasonably as early as you probably can be and I appreciated them a little bit but I didn't really understand single malt obviously at that age and I don't think you do and so through my first part of my career which is in the steel industry I was all I would always come back to malts if we ever went out anywhere as a group as the management team I would drink single malts so it yeah, that was how I started. But uh, many years later, when I had the opportunity to to join Pandaren, and I joined through one of the guys I used to work with in the steel industry, a guy called Nigel Short, who's our main investor in Pandaren, without whom we wouldn't be here talking today because he's put a, a lot of investment into the business. And then I worked in his family company in the steel industry. So I came along with him back in 2003, 2004. And... And he said to me at the time, well, you like whiskey, don't you? I know you like whiskey. Um, let's go and have a look at this. And the guys who had started our company basically had a tin shed in the Brecon Beacons, which was full of maturing whiskey. One of those things where you go and you stand outside and you think, oh, wow, this is interesting, a bit rickety and run down. But you walk inside and the, and, and the aroma hits you and the atmosphere with the, the maturing casks. And it was wonderful. So that's how I started, really. I started with in the steel industry, moved into whiskey with one of the investors, and and that was 16 years ago. Ah, you, where did you grow up? You're a native of Wales, yes? Uh, yeah, I'm a native of Wales. I, I'm from a place called Port Talbot, which is the steel one of the big steel towns in Wales. And all my family worked, you know, in the steel industry in some shape or form. So, yeah, I've uh, been in and around the area. Apart from uh, going to university in England, in Staffordshire, I've been rounded about most of my work in life now. So mm -hmm. your investor friend, how did he decide? To smelt his savings. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He had sold his business in the, uh, in the steel industry, which was a, a, a quite big business. And he was, I think he was 
looking at other opportunities. But he was from uh, he he was born in a, a village called Aberdeer, which is only a few miles from Penderyn, and he knew some of the people involved vaguely. And I, I don't think he actually really intended to invest. He went to look at it originally and thought, well, I'll have a look. What's the harm? But really got caught up with the passion of it all. And uh, and, and that's how he got, because he, I think he'd readily admit, he, he went there first to thinking, well, a little look, but I'm not really that serious about it. But he just got caught up with just the wonderful story and the ambition of the guys, even though I think they'd admit they didn't know a lot, but they just had this will to bring whiskey back to Wales for the first time for a hundred years. That's when, that's how it came. The passion caught him and then brought the rest of us along with it. That's awesome. And then the guys that originally started this little tin shed, are they still involved today? Yeah, we've got probably about 30 of the original shareholders who are, they're all still in. One or two, we've lost one or two of them, unfortunately, along the way. Some have, have passed away, but most of them um, are still involved. They're still, they've got a, and they've been very long suffering as well, because nobody's ever taken a dividend out of the company. Everything wow. has gone back into building and building. So, they're a fantastic um, group of people and they're still with us on this uh, quite long, long journey. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. They say it, any spirits enterprise is, is very much a long tail return prospect. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you need a very long vision, I think, for this kind of business. Yeah. yeah. Founded 2006. Is that correct? No, we founded in, in 2000. We, the, um, in 2000. Well, the yeah, the business was founded in 1999, the, the, the limited okay. company, but we first distilled on the 14th of September, 2000. That was the first time oh. whiskey had been made in Wales for over a hundred years. Yeah. Wow. wow. That is one wow, year wow, to wow. the day that uh, before I met my best friend. Not that that has anything oh, to do with okay. anything, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember distinctly because I should have met her on 9-11, 2001, but due to certain events in the world. Oh, well. We hmm. pushed our work date to that Friday, so that's how I remember. Anyway, so Isa, <laughs> tell us how you came to be in Wales when you're not anywhere close to there natively, uh -huh. and were you into whiskey in your homeland, and how did you get to where you were? Yeah, I came to Wales in 2004, really it just because... Uh, uh, Lithuania became one of the European Union countries and the, the borders was open to travel. So that's the, the whole idea was uh, to come over, work a bit, travel a bit, uh, probably learn language better. And it really didn't plan on staying it for long. As for the whiskey, really um, never, well, in Lithuania, there's no now it's getting popular, but uh, before it wasn't even the thinking about the whiskey. Vodka. That's that's what, what we grow up on, right? <laughs> as as, as teenagers, <laughs> and uh, a very cheap uh, wine somewhere from the uh, parents' cupboards. <laughs> but yeah, whiskey never was uh, in the thoughts. Uh, uh, I finished a, a chemical engineer back home and the, all the process of uh, distilling and the brewing and the food industry, the, all of it was uh, in the, through the studies was all known. But really when I came over, I never associated myself that I got to be working in the, a spirit industry. Uh, I worked uh, 
in a catering, I worked in the research lab. So it was uh, my closest uh, attachment to the chemistry, but uh, I finished. And, but uh, yeah, after suddenly laboratory needed to close down because they went to administration and I was looking for jobs somewhere else. And the, the job I was having in my mind, it was uh, obviously lab jobs uh, where I was having experience. I was sending CVs everywhere and the, uh, of course, later went to Pendel Distillery and then after I had the phone call from Stephen asking to come for a chat and uh, that uh, was uh, my first actually visit in the distillery. There's the first, uh, first time I've seen the, the way the still is operating in the big scale, not just the lab scale. So that's how I started and then after, of course, starting working and learning with uh, Dr. Swan. That's how I learn about the whiskey and uh, learn how to taste and uh, how to appreciate the whiskey. Really. That's awesome. But if I, if I could say, it, it was wonderful um, timing when Eister's letter landed on my desk. I think it was within a day or two of our distiller at that time, a lady who's um, Gillian McDonald, who now works at Glenmorangie. And uh, Gillian had worked for us for six or seven years and had uh, married a Scotsman and decided to move north. And I was just dealing with this news and what on earth are we going to do? And uh, Eister's letter dropped on the desk and she was a chartered chemist and uh, the right sort of background to train with this kind of thing. I was on the phone pretty quickly then to see, it was just timing is everything sometimes. Yeah, indeed. And, and a degree in chemical engineering was a not uncommon credential for distillers or people That's who move right, into distilling. Yeah. And we've interviewed any number of distillers and blenders who have degrees in chemical engineering and work in distilling, but got that degree having no idea they'd ever be working in distilling. They just learned somewhere along the way that, oh, this is a career path. And some of the greats, Dave Pickerel among them, a chemical engineer who happened into distilling. It's just, and you got to study with Jim Swan. Yeah, me and Laura, we had the opportunity to learn from him and just work alongside and uh, just grab all of his knowledge yeah. because he was just the gentleman and, and full of the huge package of the knowledge in the whiskey industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Laura, how did you happen upon your position here at Pendaren? And when you were a wee little lass, did you ever think one day you would be hanging out with all these fine folks working under Jim Swan and making whiskey? No, so much like Stephen and Eister, um, I fell into the whiskey industry completely. But unlike Eister... Your degree and... is in criminology. <laughs> it's actually in forensic science and criminology. So I, I'm oh, sorry, I can't claim right. a chemical engineering degree. Um, so science, <laughs> and I had, I had hopes of doing what you see on, what you see on TV, um, crime scene investigation, that kind of thing. I was getting to the end of my degree and there, there weren't that many exciting jobs out there and so I started just being a typical student coming to the end of their degree and, and applying for whatever I could and I think by this point Pandaren had got pretty savvy to the fact that if you put an advert out saying that you're looking for somebody to work in a whiskey distillery you get an awful lot of fans alcoholics everybody wants to apply for it <laughs> <laughs> these guys it was really anonymous there was no company name on it it was a peel box address it was for a, a food technician the advert looked really boring so I, I applied for it and I thought you know what I'll do it for a little bit and until my dream job comes up 
next day I got a, an email from uh, Stephen Davis and the, the email footer said Pandaren and I thought I nearly discarded it because I thought it was a scam. I thought I didn't even apply to Pandaren. I don't know what it is. I turned up to the advert and I remember my mum saying to me, you can't, you can't go to this, this job interview. It was uh, this random address to a, a PO box address that they then forwarded me a, a site address and they said, we'll put 10 glasses in front of you and you need to nose and taste each glass. And my mum was like, this is, this must be a trick. It's going to be really dangerous. But I did this did this assessment and I, I will always remember that one of the directors said, they introduced themselves and one of the directors said, do you know anything about whiskey? I said, no, nothing at all. Oh, great. Well, this is Dr. Jim Swan. He's a world expert in whiskey. We'll leave you to it for a bit. And everybody <laughs> left the room. I was absolutely terrified, but luckily Jim, Jim <laughs> but, but he, was a, he was a complete gentleman. He was lovely. He was so friendly, warm. He really put you at ease. He just had a lovely chat, um, a lovely interview. And yeah, that was that. I was in the company. So did, when you, a month after I started. When you did the tasting, what did, what was it? Was it like a test? If you could smell different things you were in and if you failed, you're, see ya. Yeah, but what made it really difficult? They weren't all sort of whiskey flavors. It was really strange. So some of them were like household products, clearly to be able to detect contaminants and that sort of mm. thing. So it was, it wasn't even like I knew, oh, well, these are all going to be whiskey flavors. It was really yeah, so they, they put some heads and tails on the table. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, was, all right. Uh, now, Jim Swan, was, was I don't want to forget about Jim Swan. Was he consulting with Pandaren at the time? Yeah, he, he started uh, as a consultant, but he, he had, by that time, he had joined the board of directors. So he was a, a, what we would call a non-executive director and a consultant. So he would okay. visit the business at least once a month and he would be responsible for approving all the batches of whiskey that we were producing, which weren't very, weren't very big in those days. And, and I still had been working there for a, a little while, but still you both had to go through and, and the other candidates all went through this nose and taste test that was, a, a Jim, Jim said, you know, I really want them. They've got to score quite a high mark on this so that I know I've got, I could work with people who can describe aromas and sense the faults there would be in whiskey and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So he was very structured about the way he went about it. And Eister and Laura scored top marks out of the, I think, six or seven candidates that uh, we put. Laura, are you native Welsh as well? I am, yes. I'm originally from Cardiff. Ah, okay. Yeah. Right, so CSI Cardiff is what you envisioned. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does not CSI Miami, I might still be doing that, but CSI Cardiff, you, you can see CSI why I is a, is a lovely place with a seedy underbelly, I'm sure. Wales is just opening up again after COVID. We really want to encourage people in, so it's definitely no seedy underbelly. It's lovely. <laughs> okay. How far from Cardiff is Pendaren? It's probably about half an hour in the car. Okay. All right. Half an hour. You can go east-west in, in Wales quite easily but going north south is, is another is a different proposition because most of the populations around the south coast or the north coast right. um yeah but, but getting between the two is it's very rural it's full of sheep it's it's very pretty right, but, uh, right. now stephen and laura you share a surname but you are not blood relations because davis it's spelled in the u.s 
we in in the U.S. we pronounce it Davies, but in Wales it's pronounced Davis, and it's a very common surname, is it not? Very common. I think probably yes. uh, one of the most common surnames. Yeah. Okay. Have you guys done a uh, DNA test to see if you actually are related <laughs> somewhere? Laura's been doing this sort of what do you call it the, uh, the ancestry thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So have you so found far, his family yeah. yet? No, no, so far so good. <laughs> <laughs> right. right now, you're not blood relations, but you are otherwise related after a fashion, are you not? We are involved. You're involved. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. See, Laura, that um, makes it so great. If you guys get married, you don't have to change your name legally. It's just done. It's not so that's, easy. I know. I miss half the excitement then. Right, that's true. Laura told me offline, Carrie, before you joined us, that, that should they get married, she's going to retain her maiden name. So, oh, okay. Um, well, do yeah. right, double barrel or something. <laughs> Dave, oh, Davis, you've not made it. I think, Stephen, you should change your last name to be her last name. That's what I think. There you go. I'm really, really willing to do that. I'm, well, a, mo I'm a modern man. We actually had this discussion <laughs> when our son was born and we had to decide whose surname to, to give him. Yeah. And I was, ah, and I was, okay. But the... But, you know, I was quite insistent that although it would be Davis, it would be my Davis. Aha. Uh -huh. you know, okay. So you have a you have a child in common. Uh, two children. You oh, have wow. two children in common. Okay. Uh, our son is three, and our daughter okay. is has just turned one. Wow. All right. And Aista, you're recently married. Did you give a second thought to to taking a new name? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and and your name is. What is your surname? Your maiden name? Yuknevichute. Say what now? Yuknevichute. <laughs> Yuknevichute. Yeah, so I think it, the, the whole reason to get married was just oh, to is change the same. <laughs> because we lived together for 10 years. <laughs> I like your last name. You can marry me. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Pendulum. Pandaren, yes. let's talk about the genesis of the brand. Uh, Welsh Welsh whiskey, grand history, yeah. but dormant yeah. for a full, fully one century. Yes, the last distillery in Wales before us was in the north of Wales, in a place called Vrongoch near Bala, nice Welsh name. And they, they stopped distilling, I think, about 1898. Mm. And, and there were a couple of um, reasons why they, one reason, well, there's a story that the owner of the, that distillery was knocked down and killed by his own horse and cart. Oh, uh, which, how sad. Which sounds so good. But actually, I think the main reason was there was a... Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. This, this sounds like a legendary story, so I'm going to pour the legend. Pour legend. Yes. Good, good. Yes, when, when we have several examples, we taste along the way. We, we hope that you will join us and... We can plug these expressions in as we go. So back to the equine labor revolt. Yeah, so I think that probably the real reason why the uh, whiskey distillery failed was because there was a very strong uh, religious temperance movement in, in Wales at that time. And the idea of the uh, of working in the distillery was frowned upon and it was, a, it was difficult for them to get the business, I think, off the ground. So they... They last in, in you know, they, they finished about 1898 and then they were liquidated in the early in the following century. So Penderin 
there was a long gap between Hedder and the guy who actually thought about bringing Hedder back was a local publican who owned a, a pub, public house bar mm-hmm. in the next village. And he had, he, he had the ambition to, to bring the, the whiskey making back to life. And he knew of the site in the in where we are in in, Pender, in the village of Penderin, which had a natural spring. But he was aware that there was water on the site, and he thought it would be a good idea. And there was a, a our whiskey still, which is an unusual whiskey still, which is designed by a chap called David Faraday, had been made in in a like an educational project and was available. To cut a long story short, really. He knew where the site was. He knew to get hold of a still that had been made, but never used, never commissioned. And he pulled all these things together, not really knowing an awful lot about whiskey. His name was Alan Evans. And unfortunately, we lost him. He passed away a couple of years ago, which is a shame because uh, he would have so loved to see how the business is today, see the way it was progressing. But anyway, him and a number of his friends got together and they started, they pulled the sort of cash together to do it. And it really started in a bit of a ramshackle sort of way. Five friends talking in a pub, let's do this thing. I think if they'd really known what they were getting into, they might have thought twice. I learned of Pindaren via uh, a great friend of the Center for Culinary Culture and particularly uh, the cocktail collection, a Welsh bartender, native of Snowdonia by the name of Rina or Rhino, as is his handle, Rhino Williams. and. He owns a high-end whiskey bar in Hollywood at the corner of Hollywood and Vine, which very, in terms very of famous corner. Yep. Rhino Williams, he operates this place and Pendarian is on the back bar there. And that's how I discovered it probably six or seven years ago. So let's talk about the first expression, the legend that we have today that we're, I think everybody's sipping on already. I love it. It's light. It's got a great aroma. It's very well balanced. I know you guys have a a gazillion expressions because Rhino told us so. He's also in a pilot of our TV show. Can you start by telling us what your first couple of expressions were that came off the still and how many you have today and about the legend particularly? Yeah, so our, the house style, and of course our face whiskey, it, it was a Madeira finish, and it, it was Madeira 46. And uh, again, it was uh, a huge influence of uh, Dr. Swan, because uh, he uh, knew our smooth and uh, soft uh, fruity spirit, which is uh, distilled in the Faraday still, and uh, he really knew that the Madeira would work really nice. Because Madeira a wine is a different uh, varieties. You can have a dry, you can have a medium and very sweet. Where our fruity spirit, it works with a medium or sweet wine very, very well. And that's how it, it came the, that Madeira casks. It was the first finish, which we started and it's like our house. And uh, what are you tasting now, legend, is I like uh, our brand ambassador, uh, Sean is always uh, saying like uh, a sister of the Madeira 46 is the legend is as well Madeira finish. It just created to be a more lighter, more floral. And it's of course uh, a different IPV, but it's again, it's still Madeira. Like you said, it's, it's the smoothest uh, 
creamy, uh, it's green apples, it's fruity, it's, it's, it's a light whiskey to drink. Is the initial cask ex-bourbon? Yes, like all our range is starting their maturation with the ex-bourbon barrels. And after, it depends what finish we want to okay. have, but we're transferring them in the different type of casks. And that ex-bourbon, those are bu from Buffalo Trace? Yes, uh, majority, yes. We majority. did uh, try with uh, uh, different, like Jack Daniels, Heaven Hills, uh, uh, Four Roses. But it seems uh, Buffalo Trace, uh, they uh, have really good quality casks mm -hmm. and they're very consistent. So, so that's the best fit for it. That's the best fit for your juice. Okay. Now, how long typically... This expression, for instance, how long in ex bourbon, and then how long in ex Madeira? We don't put the age, and we don't don't want to talk about the uh, time uh, the whiskey spending in the cask. Really, it's like what we're saying when it's ready, it's ready. So when we creating when we creating the batch in the batch, it can be a three year old cask or six year old cask. It's it's all depends when it's ready to use. But the average is really, it's about four years in the bourbon. And after, it depends how the Madeira casks are progressing. It can be six months or a year or even more than a year. Okay. It all depends how it's working. And again, the um, to compare the Madeira 46 and the legend, so that's uh, all the influence on the Madeira cask. So the richer finish in Madeira cask is going in the Madeira 46, where it's more lighter to medium finish is going to mm -hmm. the legend. So it's, okay. that's why it's, it's a bigger separation. So if you taste Madeira 46, you have more, more body into it and more fruit in the more heavier style where the legend is very floral, uh, light uh, and uh, light Madeira notes as well. Okay. The Madeira casks, do you do they come to you wet? And if yes, do you fill them when wet? Yes. Yeah, they, we're asking all the times that they, they will be still left, uh, the, I don't know, two liters, uh, three liters of wine, because through the travel, it depends how they travel from Portugal on the boat or by road. Stephen, talk to us about your relationships with wineries. Yeah, we, we had to work hard to get because you know, the, the wine suppliers, unlike our friends in the bourbon industry who really only have one use for the, the barrels, and the, but in the wine industry, it's probably even harder because they use them uh, again and again for storage. So we just had to build relationships with on the island of Madeira and keep the, a supply of really good quality casks that have held good quality Madeira wines of the different the sort that Daisto was explaining. Yeah, it's a, it's a very important part of the business to keep that continuity. And all these casks are individuals. And even as we grow as a business, we, we have to evaluate the casks individually, which is Eister's domain, really. And and it's wonderful. It's wonderful for me that we talked about Dr. Jim Swan. And when we lost Dr. Swan a few years ago, you could be forgiven for thinking, oh, that's going to be a big problem for Pendarin. But honestly, with the work that these ladies do, and, and Eister has been doing in particular, we haven't missed the beat in terms of being able to continue this, keep getting the quality out of the, uh, the casks. So, so we're really, we love that. We're excited about that. Laura, what's a typical day for you when you walk into the office or, or the factory? I think if there's one thing I've learned is that you don't have a typical day will, will generally be that I get in. We, we operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
So there is always something up. So when I get in, I'll, I'll speak to my team and find out what's happened through the night. Have there been any issues? Are we encountering any problems that I need to know about? I'll take a look whether anything operationally needs my attention. Do we need to, to tweak any of the parameters, any of the, the mill um, specifications or the fermentation temperatures, anything like that? I'll spend some time nosing our unique spirits. So we've got 13 mashes a week um, and three distillations from every mash. So there are an awful lot of samples to do a sensory assessment on to, to make sure that we've really got the, the best quality that we can possibly get ready to send that down to ISTA ready for casking. So there's that. When we have visitors in the distillery, I'll, I'll answer any sort of technical queries that, that our visitors have. So that's fun. It was a, a nice challenge. You get some great questions. Um, but yeah, there's, there's always something to do. Yeah. Do you find you're most at home on the shop floor? Yeah, most most at home doing doing anything related to the technical work. Yeah, that's I feel quite confident doing that. Put me in front of uh, in front of visitors and, and I enjoy it and I enjoy the interaction, but my home is on the shop floor. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Shall we talk about the Rich Oak, the next in the lineup? Who who would like to address Rich Oak and, and how it's uh, distinguished from the rest? I'll carry on about the whiskies. So yeah, as a, a Madeira, our house style was a, a huge influence of uh, Dr. Swan. So Rich Oak, again, has got the influence, especially the cask connected what is finishing in the Rich Oak. And it is SDR cask, which it was Dr. Swan's project of working with the cooperage and creating those types of cask. It's an ex-wine cask, which is a rejuvenated partially maturing fully and there's some casks are uh, as a transfer so starting the maturation journey and the babe and barrel and after we transfer in those str casks and uh, you could see straight away uh, it's a nice color in it it's a uh, nose uh, full of uh, tropical fruit the fudge is uh, is is a lot going on in this is that whiskey and it's is a lot is taking particular from those SDR casks. Uh, it got the caramel note, tropical fruits as a mango, bananas, guava. It's, it's really very nice. Mm -hmm. And you could see the influence or not the influence of a style is a pandaren style that's smooth green apples going through the creaminess as well and as you could have seen in the legends as well i think green apples and cream pretty much nails it the overarching flavor profile the question you keep saying x what, what are those casks again str so it's a straight toasted and recharged it's a okay. x wine right. cask which has been rejuvenated it is it's taking all the wine which has been soaking in into the cask but the scraping the, the dust that they're going back on the fire so it's like all those wine and wood that through the toasting and charring process is like caramelizing mm -hmm. and it's giving a really very nice uh, sweet flavors for the whiskey Okay, so this as whiskey well, has, has uh, never seen bourbon, is that correct? No, it has, yes. Some casks is starting maturation in the bourbon and being after transferred mm -hmm. into STR. But some casks mm -hmm. had the full maturation into in STR cask. Okay, all right. And it all depends. It's all yes, depends, and the magic yeah. is The magic is in the blending. We have three of your expressions. How many overall do you have on your line and how many of them are available in the U.S.? Oh gosh, we got a lot. 
the full range is, is a lot that probably I, I lost the count. <laughs> but Steven, do you know? Yeah. You're the boss man, you yeah. should know the numbers here. How many, many skews are on your books, Stephen? <laughs> well, if you look at the, the dragon range and the gold range, which are the kind of regular expressions, in the States, uh, we've got around about eight different expressions now available through Impex Beverages, who are a fantastic partner for us. Yeah for the whole of the United States. And, yes. and because there's a lot more talking and tasting going on. It's about eight, eight expressions in the United States, which I'm really happy about. I think that's a good number. But as I still was saying, we have a lot of single casks and limited bottlings and things going on, which come and go. And it's hard to put a number on all those um, because right. each, each country now will have Germany, France, uh, Belgium. They'll all have uh, at least one or two single casks of their own every year. That they like that. When one particular brand stands out, as Pandaren does, it's a remarkable achievement. Excellent. Thank you. I well, really appreciate that. And obviously, a lot of that credit goes to my colleagues on, on the call here, but also to, to Jim Swan, who took the, the raw opportunity, if you like, of Pandaren and said, look, if we're going to use this spirit effectively, then we'll, we'll get the Buffalo Trace, we'll get the Madeiras. So we're in enormous uh, debt for that. And uh, it, it wasn't, uh, we, knew, we always knew the spirit was good, but could we translate that into a great single malt? I'm, I'm glad you think that anyway. Oh yeah, for sure. I, st I actually was on a couple of tastings with you in the past few months. One of them was with the women of whiskey and we had a different peated version than the one that you guys sent us. And I still have a sample of that. So I want to talk about this one first, but then I wanted to talk to you more about the differences in your different peated expressions, just because I think that's fascinating. Yeah, uh, the the whiskey you were talking is uh, from our Dragon Range, uh, yes. which is Kelp. And there is a, a peated finish as well as a peated uh, uh, 46. And uh, again, the difference, uh, the way is. Uh, a difference uh, between uh, Madeira 46 and Legend, between 46 of peated and the kelp is uh, really the level of the peatiness. So you're tasting now peated uh, 46, so it's very light, very light on the peat on the nose, and, and it's really the peatiness is a finish. We're getting all our peatiness from the cask where it was peated whiskey. So it's very light, very gentle, very smooth. I've got the citrusy uh, notes, again, green apples, that the light smoky notes, air earthiness. If you compare with the kelp, you might well have a bit more peatiness coming on a nose. And it's just because it's a low ABV. Because if you add water to peated 46 to dilute to 43, you will see the difference that 46 actually is more peated than uh -huh. the kelp. But because uh -huh. this is bottled at 43, then straight away, then you uh, you have a more peated uh, on a nose coming. But the the kelp, the peatiness in the kelp is more get sweeter uh, smoke, mm -hmm. where on a 46, 
repeated is more if repeat yeah. is it's more this the the stronger if repeat so okay. that's that's the variation and are you using the same peated casks for the finishing or different peated casks uh we're using the same ones it just uh, in the peated 46 obviously it's more peated casks going than in the calc so that's and, why uh, it, it's the stronger and again the source of the peat is secondary. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. We're using we're using Lafroy quarter casks okay. uh, to get the uh, peatiness. So we maturing the base in the bourbon barrels, and after transferring matured whiskey into the quarter cask to get the peatiness. And the length of staying uh, in the cask again depends. Uh, the same like any wine cask uh, depends on the cask itself how it's performing so some casks are enough the the peatiness getting after three months some of them are six or eight or even a year as most of our listeners know i'm not a huge peated fan but yeah what i love about your peated is that it's it's the kind of peat that i would like because well, that, it's not that, overpowering that, that's right. That's why when we talk about Kelt or Peter 46, we're always uh, saying that there is really a brilliant whiskey for the people who once introduced this, um, this themselves to the peat. So not to start with a strong peat as Lafroig and scared straight away. Wow. We can start <laughs> with, uh, with, uh, <laughs> with ours and it's like, yeah. Right. Well, what I like about yours is I feel like you can still taste all the other flavors in your whiskey, where some of the other ones that are really heavily peated, yeah. there's so much yeah. peat yeah. on the punch that I, after a couple of sips, I'm like, all I can, for the rest of the night, all I can taste is peat. I, and then I brush my teeth, go to bed and work, wake up in the next morning. I still <laughs> taste peat, but yours, yeah. not the case. We've just opened a brand new distillery in North Wales, on the North Wales coast, okay. and uh, very deliberately to be able to have a footprint around the uh, the whole country. And we, we only opened it last week. Obviously, oh, we wow. had to have a fairly quiet opening because uh, we're still not allowed to gather in large numbers. But uh, we had the First Minister of Wales there yesterday, which was nice to, to have some wow. uh, recognition. But the whole point of the second distillery is to bring more visitors in to see how we make whiskey. And uh, it's in a, a lovely Welsh, old Victorian Welsh town called Llandidno. And, and it's lovely. And it's an opportunity to make a new style of whiskey. So coming back to the discussion about peated whiskey, we're actually going to make a peated whiskey from barley that's been smoked and dried and peated. So nice. um, it'll be something to look forward to, in, obviously, in a few years. Yeah. Barley. Can we talk about barley? That's one thing we have not discussed yet. And where, from where you source it? Uh, yeah, most of our, well, all of our barley comes from the UK. We do, and we have used Welsh barley, but unfortunately, if you know anything about Wales, you'll know that the Welsh weather doesn't in include an awful lot of sunshine hours. Right. <laughs> so we feel that we want to source quality barley to make quality spirit. We don't want to compromise on that. And so it, it's all UK sourced. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of spirits, do you make any other spirits? Or is your production limited to whiskey? So we, our distillery production is limited to, to whiskey. The, the distillery is quite small and, and we'd probably love to, to be able to put a, a gin still in, but we've, we're pretty much full to bursting at the moment. We've got no space. So our, our gin and our vodka um, produced for us, they're, they're 
produced to a to a recipe um, mm -hmm. by a third uh, party. They're then brought to the distillery, and we'll add some of our spirits. We'll bottle it ourselves on on site um, and, okay. and all of that kind of stuff. We also produce a cream liqueur, so that's our um, malted barley spirit from our stills that we ha send away to be mixed with cream, and then and a bottle on site. Oh, okay. Great. All right. Do you do any new oh, make? And do rum. You do... Sorry. We have rum. And, we... and rum. I think, yeah. Yeah. The, the sun never sets on Siddiqui rum. <laughs> Back to your new distillery. How are you guys going to split your time between the two facilities? Or are you having a whole different team up north? How's that going to work out? We've got a team up north who will run the day-to-day. And then these ladies will be responsible for Laura for the spirit quality that's coming out landed. No, and Ista will be ultimately responsible then for blending it in the fullness of time. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so the responsibilities won't change an awful lot in terms of the senior team. Cocktails. Yes, cocktails. Yeah, cocktails. Uh, yes, we, always end, we always end every interview with cocktail talk as an homage to the cocktail collection. And we like to start with, if you have cocktails that you you think are good recipes and that you like with your spirits, but we also like to know what you guys normally drink if you go to a bar and Pandaren is not on the back bar, which I can't imagine anywhere near you guys would not be on the back bar. But what kind of cocktails do you go to? As you can imagine, with two small children, I don't get to have many cocktails at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I was in, in New York a couple of years ago for work, and I went to some really great bars, and I had a, an old-fashioned made with Pandaren, and that worked really, really well. It was the Madeira finish. It just worked so well. I think the you know, the, the flavour profile of the Madeira, the, the softness, the sweetness mixed with the, the bitter, it was really lovely. And that was a, definitely a go-to drink for me. Mm -hmm, right. mm -hmm, I still, mm -hmm. what do you think? I think uh, on our, our website is plenty of uh, cocktails with different recipes <laughs> of our product. It, it loads of really different ones. But for me, because I got the sweet of it, the pina colada <laughs> all the way. Oh, nice. <laughs> Nice. Right. <laughs> My brother-in-law uh, was making the cocktails when he came over that probably a couple of weeks ago. And he used the hour in, with a coconut milk instead of uh -huh. being coconut rum. And it worked really well. So, nice. Yeah. Sure. Stephen, yeah. what about you? Do you get to have any cocktails with the little ones running around? As you can imagine, not, no, no, not really. Um, <laughs> I, no, I, I must admit, I'm... I'm not a huge sort of uh, co cocktail person. I mean, in terms of how I would drink Pendarin or most malt whiskies would be probably with Pendarin. The wonderful thing about it is you can drink it neat, mm -hmm. even at 40, even at 46%. Oh, sure. And it doesn't need, you know, too much in terms of drops of water. So I was looking right. at, uh, before I joined, I was looking at the whiskey sour on the Sam had sent you on the, uh, one of the examples. Mm -hmm. I'm full of admiration how the guys put those together and it was beautiful. But I, but in terms of malt whiskey, I must admit, being perhaps being a bit of a heathen and saying I, I like to drink it fairly, fairly neat. Ditto, uh, yeah. ditto, totally uh, ditto. Heathen, that's, that's a purist. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, in terms of uh, one of the things I really like about this job, and there's many, and a lot of people say to me, a number of journalists have said to me recently, you've got the best job in Wales. I probably have in many ways, but I love the opportunity to work with the fortified wines, and I really. Mm -hmm. I like sherry and I like Madeira wine. And a lot of those things are not quite as fashionable these days, but they, they, they can be fabulous. So right. 
Right. Oh, yeah. To answer your question about what would I drink in a bar if uh, Pendarin's not available, I would always look at, at, for a really nice fortified wine. Or if I, but if I was going to drink Scotch whiskey, and there's a range of things, I hanker back for the the Macallans that I drank with my dad when I was younger, and right. the rich, really rich sherry that, that I don't uh -huh. you quite get now, but but you could get in those days, which would have been in the mid 80s. Yeah, we um, have a couple of Tamdu sherry bombs from a previous from a previous uh, episode that are just they're glorious. Yeah, really, <laughs> love 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 them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, but, yeah. I mean, one of the things that, one of the things with Pendarin is that if you put too much I still will know this. When you put too much sherry, much matured uh, whiskey together, the sherry, because it's such a delicate spirit, it can overwhelm the the malt. It can overwhelm. Oh, yeah, the of course. So we, of course. I yeah. learned a lot about uh, balance in the early days when I was thinking, "Oh, this is really nice." And people were saying to me, "No, you like that because you like sherry, and it, it's not a balanced whiskey." So we've learned uh, to do that really well. Speaking of Welsh whiskey. We have, we have interviewed quite a few distillers, blenders at uh, Irish distilleries. 20 years ago, there were three Irish distilleries. Now there are dozens and dozens and more coming online seemingly every day. What, talk to us about the Welsh whiskey landscape. Surely you're no longer alone. So there, there were two up until last week, there were two selling the market and now there's yeah. three. There's three. And there's five in total wow. at the moment. But it will be very lonely for a while. We were on our own for for a good few years, and nobody else thought that making Welsh whiskey was a very good idea. And people forget, honestly, people forget. I have to remind them. Fifteen years ago, people thought it was a really rubbish idea, yeah. uh -huh. and so now it's a it's nice to see the embryo of a sort of an in, a, a whiskey industry in Wales. Yeah. Um, so, and there's so there's five of us, and the others are gradually coming on stream, but they've got a very small production. One day, far in the future, so about one day in depth with the, the sort of whiskey industry in Wales, there is in Scotland or Ireland. I think that would be really, really wonderful. Mm. Um, yeah, for, for sure. Whiskey. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, guys, it Indeed. has been fantastic having you all here. I've enjoyed uh, several tastings with you in the past, so this is lovely getting <laughs> to actually talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. A huge fan of all of the expressions that I've had of your whiskeys. All of them are great. Thank you. Thank you so that's, much. That's great feedback. We love that. That's thanks very much, Frida. Thanks for your time. We really appreciate thank it. You. Oh, thank you for yours. Happy to drink whiskey in the morning with you. It's oh, good. <laughs> Up next, Chef Louise Leonard visits Hollywood's Lost Property Bar and talks to Welsh owner Rhino Williams about Pandaren whiskey. Uh, Lost Property is, uh, you know, we have a strong Welsh connection. I'm from Wales, and uh, you know, we've got the largest uh, selection of uh, Pendarin Welsh whiskies over here. Okay. Um, so uh, let me rock out a cocktail that I came up with in honor of my dad. My dad uh, and his cousin, they have the same name, and my granddad uh, gave them both nicknames. My father's uh, nickname is Humphrey. Okay. So uh, we call this Humphrey the Shepherd because he's a farmer. Cheers. Cheers. Enjoy. Yechida. Oh, how do I say that? Say that again. Yechid. Yachid da da Yachid da. Good health in Wales. I love that. There you go. I my family, my dad's family comes from Wales. There you go. This is what I want probably right before I'm about to have dinner. Makes this sense. is delicious. Definitely. Definitely. This is a get the party started for me. Yeah. It's delicious. Tell me more about Welsh whiskey. I think there's a lot of people that 
yes. myself included, have no clue yeah. what's going on there. In that so world. I think the last distillery was uh, closed in the uh, early 1900s in a place called Bala, which is in North Wales. People were pretty uh, chapel going in Wales back in the day. We had drinkers, but there was a big uh, movement about not having too much like hard spirits going around, I guess. Okay. Um, but that's kind of relaxed. And then in 2004, I believe, uh, Penderin Distillery started distilling then. They had, I think, one whiskey on the skew. Now they have a bunch of them. What I like about them as well, they uh, they come out with um, special series as well. So they, you know, celebrate Welsh things, right? The, the rugby. There's another one for uh, an opera singer, Bryn Tervel, as well. So I want to go to Wales. I've never been there, and this is definitely going to be on my list yep. of places to check out. Yeah, it's well worth it. So it's in the Brecon Beacons, okay, uh, which is kind of I don't know north of Cardiff, basically. Okay, um, so it's beautiful. Beautiful area, right? Another thing about this cocktail that is super exciting is using some of the California ingredients. Uh, the sweet vermouth being from California, you know, it really makes me feel like, okay, I'm tasting a bit of your home, but then we're also here in Southern California, and so I have a bit of that too. It's just lovely. <laughs> For show notes on today's podcast, please visit our website at spiritsofwhiskey.com. That's whiskey with an E. We'll include links and supporting documents from today's stories in this episode's blog post. As always, you'll see upcoming topics, a guest roster, and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Slanchava! Spirits of Whiskey is produced by First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are heard.